0: You all can be seated. If we haven't met yet, my name's Anna. I typically serve over on 6th Street at the Warehouse campus. Pillar hopes to be one church with multiple locations on the same mission together with God to be for our city. I'm excited to continue our journey of hopping and skipping through the Old Testament, leading all the way up to a gospel at Advent, this morning is a familiar story. You might have heard it. It's about the burning bush, and I'm going to claim that it's about Jesus, too. The other day, I was driving, and at the very same moment, there were huge raindrops plunking on my windshield, and bright sunlight coming through at the same time. And for the first time in my life, I had the thought someone should write a poem about this. And that's new for me because I've really struggled to appreciate poetry up until last week. <laughs> it was like a flip of a light switch. I'm wired a little more like cerebrally, and poetry has always felt out of reach and a little wishy-washy. But Malcolm Geit, who preached here last week, stuck around to give a couple talks at this gathering of pastors and writers and artists. Some of you were there. It was beautiful. And he's a poet, and he brought poetry to life for me for the first time. So now I'm obsessed with poetry. (laughs) And he said one thing that I'll return to at the very end. He said, this wasn't even a poem, but he was just speaking, and because he's a poet, he speaks poetically. He said, Jesus is the only shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep. Jesus is the only shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep. And I thought that was really beautiful. Um, we'll circle back to it, but first, Exodus. So listen with me. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of their slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their cry, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock beyond the wilderness to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a flame of fire out of a bush. And the bush was blazing, but it was not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside and see this great sight and see why it's blazing, but the bush doesn't burn up. And so when God saw that Moses had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. Moses! Moses! He said, here I am. And God said, come no closer and remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. He said further, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said further, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them, to bring them out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Indeed, I have heard their cries and I have seen their oppression so I will send you to go to Pharaoh and bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring your people out of Egypt? God said to him, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I I tell them? God said to him, I am who I am. Further, God said to him, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, "The the Lord the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name for all generations and my title forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. There's so much there, but here's the direction we'll go together. First, Moses's question, who am I? And then God's promise that they'll worship on the mountain. And then when God says, I know they're suffering, and I've come down to deliver them, that's where we'll zoom in. First, Moses' question. He asks, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring your people out of Egypt? Who am I? I wonder if any of you can resonate with that question. There's some sort of call on your life from God. And you find yourself asking, who am I? And Moses was prepared. He was the little baby found in the basket who got to grow up in the royal courts of Pharaoh and be trained in rhetoric and be given everything he needed. And he's asking, who am I? I can relate to that. Like An abundance of open doors. An abundance of Resources from God to be faithful to a calling. Still asking, who am I? I think it's a valid question. I think it's a question God meets us in. I wonder what it is for you. Who, who am I to raise these children? Who am I to show up in my workplace and speak about the hope of Jesus? Who am I to carry on peaceful dialogue in a civic life that can often steer towards polarization and name-calling. Who am I? Little old me? Can any of you relate to that? Who am I? Well, hear this. Who are you? You're the beloved of God. You're seen as totally free and forgiven and loved and chosen. God calls you by name. Moses, Moses, you're God's fearfully and wonderfully made. And then God pivots the attention from Moses' own insecurities toward his own self. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And I am who I am. I will be with you. Is, is the I will be with you promise of God enough for us? Perhaps our callings are an invitation to risk, to, in- to uncertainty. Maybe we can't do it on our own. Maybe we actually need God in every single moment of obedience. God's not going to call you to something that he won't equip you for, but he also wants you to be totally dependent on himself. I will be with you. And then the mark of God's presence with them, this is how you will know that it is I who sent you. You will worship God on this mountain was God's promise. The Gathering worshiping community here and now, you and me together in this room, is a signpost, a marker pointing towards God's faithfulness and presence with us. Worshiping God on the mountain together, if you will. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship me on this mountain. Worship is the The end goal, or the telos, or the ultimate destination of everything we're called to. It's all headed toward worship. And there are so many moments throughout the Bible when God's people worship together. And we're doing that now, here. And then at the end of the story, there's this moment described in Revelation when all the people, and all the nations, and all the creatures are bowing before the Lamb and the one seated on the throne and singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be glory and honor and blessing and praise forever and ever. That's the end of the story. The, The ultimate mountain of God after the valley. So I want to invite you to think about a moment in your life of deliverance when God brought you out of the valley and onto the mountain and you could worship. Maybe it comes to mind pretty quickly for you. Maybe you're on the mountaintop right now, like full of joy, full of faith. This community holds you in that. And and maybe that's really hard to think of, or maybe you've never had a moment like that. Or maybe you're in the valley right now. This worshiping community has seen some valleys and has seen some mountains. And our worship together today is a a signpost, a marker on the journey, proof that God is with us, proof that he's gonna continue to be with us, and a a little foretaste of the moment when we'll all be on the mountain worshiping. St. Augustine described the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23 as just life on earth. (laughs) And the, the green pastures to come as the new creation with God. So take heart, because there will be a day when the proof of God's faithfulness with us throughout our whole lives will be worship on a mountain together. I think sometimes it's helpful to step back and consider, like, why is it that we gather together? It's not just to see one another, although that's encouraging, and I like you all. And it's not just to... Socialize. It's to worship the living God. I saw this quote the other day from a church that I follow in the Dallas area, and they were describing like the spiritual hunger of Gen Z. So I'm part of Gen Z. It's like 1997 and later of when you were born. So like I'm on the cusp of it. So Generation Z. But I think this is true for all of us. But this is the quote that really struck me. They said, If Gen Z wanted a great production, they would just go to a Drake concert. If Gen Z wanted a speaker who makes lots of jokes, they can watch comedy on Netflix. If Gen Z wanted to be entertained, they would just open up TikTok. If Gen Z wanted a community of like-minded people with the same values, they would just join sports or a video game lobby. The church's greatest asset to reach Gen Z is the guarantee of the presence of God among us. Yeah, Gen Z is not searching for production or hype or fun, but something to fill their deep spiritual appetite. And I think it's true of younger generations, but also true of all of us, like a deep spiritual appetite that longs to worship God. And, and that's what we're here to do, not just to get in touch with our feelings, but to remember, like, the living God is here, and God promises that worship is a sign of his faithfulness and his presence with us. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, this will be a sign to you, that it was I who sent you. You will worship God on this mountain. Lastly, when God is talking to Moses, he says something that I think is profound and actually about Jesus. Jesus says, I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. And I can't help but think of the incarnation when God would take on flesh and become like us in every way apart from sin and know our suffering, like in his body. Know what it's like to feel everything you feel. (laughs) Know what it's like to walk around and eat our food and touch our soil. But also know our sufferings, like, in the ultimate way, like, to the cross. And Jesus says, "I, I know your sufferings today. Like, I know fully everything you're going through because I lived it. And I took it all on myself, like all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your insecurity, everything that you regret, like I took it on my body and suffered and died and rose, all for you. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them. It's all pointing forward to Jesus. So that quote from Malcolm Guite: Jesus is the only shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep. Like, he knows what it's like. And he loves you. I wanna show you a piece of artwork. This is an icon from the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and I am not an art historian, so I don't know a ton about it. Um, But when I googled burning bush artwork, this came up. (laughs) And I think, It's beautiful. There's a lot going on there. Um, In the bottom half, you can see the bush surrounding the Virgin Mary, who's holding the pre-incarnate Christ on her lap. And it points to the reality that the same God who spoke from the burning bush was... Father, Son, Spirit, God, who would become incarnate in Jesus Christ. Like the same God who called Moses by name and led his people out of Egypt. It was always headed toward Jesus, too. Like that deliverance in Exodus was a a marking point on the longer story of God's promise to be faithful to us always and to show us himself most fully and finally in Jesus Christ.